Morning. I guess the mic is on. You'll note several things, well, at least one thing. I am not Jeremiah Meadows. In case you're wondering, the Jeremiah Meadows in your program is our pastor, and normally he would be up here, but since he is busy changing diapers and learning the new reality that is his life, I get the opportunity to be here instead. So let's pray real quick for Jeremiah and Lexi as we start. Father, we pray for Jeremiah and Lexi in Sydney. Thank you for her relatively easy arrival. And we pray that you would transition them quickly. And more than anything else, we pray for rest and for sleep today. Amen. Well, it started rather simply. Scott Simon weekend host of National Public Radio, sent out a tweet on July 16th. And it was about a phone call that he had just received from his mom. And the tweet read, Mom called. She said, I can't talk right now because I'm surrounded by handsome men. She was 84. He had just found out that she was being wheeled in for emergency surgery at 84. And so every few hours, he sent out another tweet and chronicled the conversations they had over the next 13 days until she finally passed away on July 29th. And as he did so, it was both funny and tragic because their personalities came out in that two-week timeline. as She would say things and he would say things back, but one tweet in particular stood out. And it's a message he sent out on July 27 at 11.07 p.m. And he wrote, Mom asked, will this go on forever? She means pain, dread. Will this go on forever? This, this pain this dread that we experience, and that's a valid question. Because death and tragedy run as an undercurrent through our lives. It only takes a while to start feeling like disaster is looming around the next corner, either because of personal experience or because we read the headlines each day. Death and its cousins, old age, accidents, illness, Separation and loss are with us for our entire lives. And at times, that's all we can see. It fills our vision when our bodies start to fail, even in subtle ways. When we or someone we love gets that negative diagnosis. When we lose someone to death. Or when someone we love is suffering. Is this how it will always be? Will this go on forever? Well, God answers that. And those of us in this room who believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection and what that accomplishes, we know that through that we have a hope of a new and an eternal life. But so very often, as we suffer in the midst of sadness and loss, and deep disappointment. 
It's so hard to stay in touch with that hope, to remember it, because our loss is deep and our wounds are ever-present. So we need to be reminded of who God is and what he intends to do in the face of our fallen reality. And we need to hear it again and again, over and over and over, that our hope is real. And so this morning, we'll start by looking at a man named Job. And as many of you know, Job suffered more than any of us can possibly imagine, almost. He lost at least 10 of his children. He lost his savings, his finances, even his very health. And throughout it all, Job, what he wanted more than anything else was a response from God. He wanted an answer. He wanted some kind of response. And we'll see this morning as we look at Job that God had a response. And that response talks about what he has been doing about evil and suffering since the beginning of creation, and it foreshadows what he will do in the future. And that answer takes us on a larger story, a classic story of good versus evil. And it's a story in three parts. God restrains evil, God personally comes to overcome evil, and God destroys evil. God restrains evil, God personally comes to overcome evil, and God destroys evil. So first, God restrains evil. As I said before, as we turn to Job 38, Job chapter 38, at this point in Job's life, he suffered great tragedy and his body is riddled with disease. And God begins to speak. Look in chapter 38, starting in verse 1 with me. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens my counsel by, by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now normally when we read this, the tendency is to just dismiss this whole conversation. Because it sounds like God is being harsh, that God is basically saying, look, I'm big, you're little, I'm God, you're not. You just need to accept your situation and deal with it. But to focus only on those elements, to focus on that particular message, is to miss the larger message God is communicating as he continues his dialogue, especially in the next two stanzas. You see, because God is directing Job, and he's directing us to a larger narrative, one that's not just about Job and not just about God, but about a larger story, one that involves evil and chaos. And we saw that God refers to creation in those first seven verses. And then he talks about two specific topics in the next two stanzas. He talks about sea, and he talks about darkness. And he's going to associate both of those with chaos and a sense of evil. So read with me in Job 38, and let's look at how God describes the sea. Beginning in verse 8, God continues. He says, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? 
when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. First thing we see is that in verses 8 and 9, God is equating the presence of the sea with a birth. And he describes it as chaotic. And anyone who's been to a birth can kind of somewhat attest to this, whether it's at home or in a hospital. There's screaming from multiple people. There's blood. There's water. In my experience, it was Kate and I, and we were by ourselves, and then all of a sudden there were 30 or 40 people in the room, it seemed like. It's bedlam for some time. So God describes and associates the sea with chaos. And immediately after that, in verses 10 and 11, we see him setting bars and doors and saying, thus far you should come and no further. So the sea is chaotic and the sea is somewhat sinister, but God immediately sets boundaries. God is restraining already. And this conflict, the sense of the sea being opposed to God is intensified as well because if we look in verse 11, we get the description of the waves as proud. And so that sense of opposition is heightened. And in fact, this is a throwback to Genesis 1, verses 9 and 10, where it says, And God said, Let the waters under heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together seas. And so God is throwing back. He's saying, Since, since the beginning, I've been restraining chaos. I've been restraining evil. And lest we think this is just a one-off reference, the Old Testament is littered with this kind of association, this theme. One only needs, thinks, needs to think of the exodus of the Israelites. When they left Egypt and were going to the Promised Land, they were three days out, and then they were trapped because behind them was the army of Egypt, enemies of God. And on the other side was the sea. So they were stuck between two opposing forces. And what did God do? He split the sea in half, and they walked through on dry land. Unless we misinterpret that as God restraining evil, we read earlier this today about Isaiah 51 memorializing that event, saying he split the sea and let the redeemed pass through. God is restraining evil. Multiple psalms describe the sea in this way. And note, Psalm 74 and Psalm 89 talk about a prideful sea and how he restrains it. And not only that, but God is using Job's language here. No fewer than five times Job describes the sea as evil or chaotic or opposed to God and how God can and does restrain it. In fact, in Job 26.12, Job says, by his power, by God's power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab, which means proud one. So God's basically reminding Job of what he's already said, that I'm in control. The seas are in opposition, but God is restraining that evil. Then the second stanza, God talks about darkness here in Job 38. Read with me in verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. So what we get here is this, this image of dawn coming 
and the earth acting like a blanket. And verse 13 talks about how dawn comes and picks up the blanket and shakes the evil out of it, shakes the wicked out of it, and they fly off. And in verse 14 and 15, we get the idea that dawn breaks, and even in the midst of their upraised arm, even in the midst of their act, they're frozen by the true light of dawn. So he's associating darkness with evil and saying he brings light into that darkness. And once again, we're pointed towards creation. This time, Genesis 1, verses 3 through 5, we're, we're all fairly familiar, but it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. So this is what God is doing. He's saying, Job, remember, there is darkness but I'm bringing light into that. I am restraining darkness. And once again, we see this throughout the Old Testament again. Exodus 13, God is a pillar of light to guide the Israelites by night so they could see their way. Psalm 27 talks about God is my light and my salvation. Psalm 122 talks about light dawning in the darkness for the upright. And Job again, this time in no less than 26 places. He talks about darkness being associated with evil and God bringing light into that situation and restraining evil. And so dawn is a reminder that God is repeatedly holding evil back. And in case we missed the connection, we see in verses 16 through 17 of Job 38 that he associates the sea and he associates darkness with death. Because in verse 16 he says, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? So in case Job missed the first two references, God sandwiches death with sea and with darkness. These are things opposed to God. This is symbolically representing evil. And God is saying, look, I know about it. I've been holding it back since the beginning and will continue to do so. God is doing more than making Job look small. He's trying to remind Job that he is ultimately in control. Now, when I, when I read this kind of dialogue and the idea of someone being in control, I'm reminded of being four years old. Kind of odd, right? Four years old in suburban Houston. I would sleep and I'd be having room to myself, and I would wake up about 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And I had a vivid imagination. So you had to picture a small four-year-old boy sitting there. And my fears were not some boogeyman with four heads and 14 eyes coming out of my closet. I'd seen the headlines. I anticipated a burglar coming in, taking us all out. Like, those kinds of real-world scenarios are, are pictures you know, splashed across the front page the next day. And so I was four. I would sit there and stare at the ceiling. I was terrified. Terrified. Didn't know what I was going to do. And right about then is when I'd start to hear the coffee machine gurgling and burbling. And I'd hear the coffee machine and i think, you know, I remember that my dad puts that on an automatic timer. And if that coffee machine is going off, that means he's going to be up soon. And if he's up soon, that means dawn is coming. And that was, that was some measure of reassurance. And that's what God restraining evil here does. We're still in the dark. Our fears and troubles still exist. But we are reminded that God is still in control. 
and that is some measure of reassurance. And the dawn coming points us towards God coming personally to overcome evil in the form of Jesus. Because God doesn't stop at mere restraint, you see. The dialogue with Job points us back to creation, but it also points us to Jesus coming to personally overcome evil as God. And our themes of sea and darkness as representing evil and chaos that we saw from Job and we saw from creation the Old Testament, God put them there in the first place, and so we expect that Jesus would capitalize on those, that he would use those elements. And in fact, he does. If you think of the sea and darkness, they're all scattered through the Gospels. We saw at the Ring of Fire last year that in Mark 4, Jesus is in a boat in the sea, and they're being tossed about by the waves, and the disciples are freaked out, and they're panicking. And Jesus wakes up and looks out and says, Calm down! And the sea does. And what do the disciples do? They freak out again. They say, who is this guy? That even the sea, even the sea obeys him. And he rebukes the sea just like he rebukes the demons a chapter later in Mark 5. He rebukes the demons and they ask for permission to go into the pigs. And where do the pigs go? They immediately go into the sea, heightening the effect. And then a bit later in Matthew 14, the disciples are being sent across the sea and they're rowing and they can't make any headway because the seas are battering the boat. And Jesus, who has stayed back on shore, sees them out there and what does he do? He just walks calmly out to them. All of these incidents show his authority and his dominion over the sea. And light, our other theme, is even easier to see. There are lots of examples throughout all the Gospels, but John is the most focused on this. In John 1, 2, and 3, Talking about Jesus, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In fact, the opposite. In John 3.19, Jesus describes himself as the light who has come into the world. He is the dawn, just like we saw in Job 38. And the New Testament continues this. We heard this morning, 1 Peter 2.9-10, how we are called out of darkness and into his light, and we are shown mercy. And not only does he demonstrate that he overcomes darkness and he has authority over the sea, but his resurrection proves that he has final victory over both. We saw Job tie the sea and darkness into death, and through his resurrection, through his victory over death, we see that he has the final victory at dawn, no less. So as Colossians 1.13 says, we know because of that, what Jesus has done, that we've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. And so our temporary status, where we're dealing with the things of life, must be only temporary. You know, I was sitting there and hearing that coffee maker, and that was good, that was good. I'm not complaining about that, but... Five to ten minutes later, I would see one of the things I'd be waiting for. I was lying in bed, and I'd start to see that light streaming in from beneath the door. And my dad is not a gentle man, and so you could hear everything he did. So he, he may be the only man in history who'd get a coffee mug out loudly, but he did so. You know, you hear the dish come out, you hear him pouring the coffee, you hear him sitting in his recliner. And it hit me like a ton of bricks in a good way. Because now he was here. 
my dad was present. No, I still didn't see him, but I felt the effects of what he was doing. I could hear his noise. I could see the light. And that made a difference because, yes, I was still in the dark. Yes, I still had some of my fears. Yes, I still had to deal with a couple hours until dawn. But my dad was present. I knew my final, ultimate safety was secure because no one could get through my dad. And I passed out. And that's what Jesus has done. We're still in the dark. We still have to deal with suffering and evil and death. But our final victory is assured. Which raises our same question we've had before. Will this go on forever? Is this how it will always be? That moves us to our third part. Jesus returning and coming to destroy evil completely. And turn with me to Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. And we'll see that God is doing what he did at the beginning. He's creating again. He's recreating. Revelation chapter 21. The first few phrases say, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what God was, was doing in the first, he's redoing again. And then let's look and see what happens to the sea in darkness. Read the rest of verse 1. Then the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea was no more. No more sea. No more evil. No more opposition to God. And then with a the light... Look down in verses 23 through 25. It says, And the city, it's talking about Jerusalem on the new earth, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. It's Jesus. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. No night, no sea, no darkness, no evil, no suffering, no death. How glorious is that? And Jesus himself, we're told, is our lamp. He is our light that has dispelled the darkness. Let me go back to that bedroom one more time. Because what I really wanted was not for the coffee maker to go off. What I really wanted was I wanted to get up out of that bed, walk across that room, open that door, and walk through it and see my dad face to face. That's what I wanted. And that's what we will get to do one day. We'll walk through that door and see Jesus face to face and bask in his light forever. And as Isaiah says, and we heard earlier today, at that time our days of mourning will be over and our sorrow and sighing will flee away. We still live in the darkness, overcome at times by the waves of our broken world. We may be sad, grieving, 
limited by our fallen bodies. But we can cling to what God said to Job and what he says to us, that God is restraining evil. He has conquered evil. And one day he will destroy evil completely. And this, this is our hope. And it's that hope that enables us to say with deep longing, come Lord Jesus, bring that day. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are aware of what's going on. Thank you that you want to raise our eyes and elevate our vision. Thank you that you care and give us eyes to see what's going on in this world. But thank you even more that you are restraining evil. Thank you that you saw the problem and came personally to provide victory. And we long for the day, Father, when Jesus will come back and we will be with him forever and evil and its associated sufferings will be gone. Help us remember that hope as we live this week. Amen.